Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as ever, I'm joined by the precognitive Julian Darius. How are you doing, Julian? You okay? I'm doing great, and uh, I'm causing a little ball to roll down with your name on it. <laughs> that means something very different elsewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> um, today, we, we are doing another, uh, I suppose it be this season, sort of Philip K. Dick uh, adaptation. And uh, also, I think to boot our first Steven Spielberg film as well. So, um, jumping, we are doing 2002's Minority Report, starring Tom Cruise, uh, Max von Sydow, and Colin Farrell, as I said, directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, this is a film for me that uh, I still remember coming out. It's one of those films that when I realized this was 2002, I've realized how old I was and how immortal uh tom cruises to be perfectly honest um uh but yeah i remember this being really good and i remember this, when this came out i had this on i think i still got the dvd i bought from then so um it's a pretty solid spielberg film but you know I'm, i'll be interested to see what we think about it as a, a film that came out in 2002 um do you remember when it came out julian what were your thoughts obviously you know it being a, a dick adaptation and stuff um i i liked it um i We'll see most Spielberg stuff in theaters, uh, mm. at least before COVID. I think Spielberg doesn't get enough credit. I think that certainly in my circles, he's kind of looked down upon. He's sort of known as uh, the artistic director for the middle class. You know, <laughs> he's not the the real artsy guy. And you know, there there are elements that about that that are fair, but also he is an amazing filmmaker mm. and I have been so moved by his work. And I think um, having just watched recently some uh, um, documentary about him, it brought back so much emotion uh, from his work and how well shot it all is. Um, so I saw this in theaters mm. and I, I didn't expect a whole lot. I sort of had seen the trailers and, and, yeah, Cruz does look kind of immortal. I think Cruz is... I've liked him in some stuff and not liked him in others. I think that he... In, in the original Philip K. Dick story, the protagonist typical of a Dick story is sort of uh, overweight and middle-aged. Yeah. And, uh, you know, typical Dick protagonist. And then, you know, it's like we've got Tom Cruise. And I, I find him a little flat sometimes. Mm. So I thought, okay, well, they've, they've turned a dick story into another actioner and i was i was surprised by how much i liked it and then it sort of became a pop culture reference um for precognition mm. yeah I, I, say I was similar when this came out i remember being sort of um you know um good good spielberg you know um i remember sort of I, I agree. I think Spielberg is a master 
director. Yeah, you know, one of the things I think that Spielberg is good at is every film that he comes to, for the most part, and I think there are some a couple of outliers, but every film he comes to, he comes to with a sort of uh, an authenticity as to what that film is. You know, like if he's coming at an action adventure film, he's coming to do a good action adventure film. <clears throat> if he's coming to do a war film, he's coming to do a good war film. You know, he sort of he knows what the bubble of that film is, and he'll try and keep it within that bubble and, and um, you know keep it as real to that as, as possible. I think that's why I think he's he's very adaptable and he's very good at that. Uh, and it, it shows in this. Like this is like you said, this is a sci-fi actioner, and it, it sort of <clears throat> it feels like a Spielberg film. You know, and that's not that's that's not no bad thing. That's what I'm saying it feels in a, in a good way. And Cruz is great. I think you know, like you say he he is that sort of quintessential action hero. You know, he's he's not um, he's not deep. He's not particularly um, <laughs> you know he's not bringing a whole lot of depth to the character. You know, it's one thing I will get into in this film is like you know at no point is it, nothing in this film is ever subtext. It all becomes text pretty quick. <laughs> You know, like I, in my notes, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting <laughs> point that they've sort of alluded to. And in the next scene, someone will literally spell it out and you go, right, they thought that too. Okay, well. <laughs> um, right, yes. Uh, but, I mean, that fits Cruz, right? I mean, yeah, Cruz is perfect it, for that kind of film. Exactly, yeah. And it's, it's so it's almost like one of the things I, I, I appreciate for this film is some people will say that, that it's dumbing down. You know, oh, it's mm. dumbing down. Go, yeah, but that's no bad thing because you are still introducing concepts of you know sort of an ideas in a way that someone that probably doesn't you know um take on sci-fi concepts or you know these con these ideas of the of time and cognition and all this other stuff um every day and you want to feed them like things about paradoxes and about you know and they, they actually address the sort of at some points about the um the ethics of, of precognition justice and all this other stuff so you know, they feed at you, but it's not a bad thing because it's a bit like saying, like, yeah, here's a beautiful meal. Try some. <laughs> you know, it's available for you to eat. So um, I, I enjoyed it. I think, you know, it's got some, it's got flaws, but I, I think it was actually really good fun. No, I, I agree. And I think that, yeah, I am, I am bothered by the sort of cruise effect, though. Mm. I am bothered by um, how direct it is. I think... You know, I don't think that's a flaw. I don't think that it's really dumbed down. Um, the thing that bothers me is, I, I think it is overly long. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were just talking about how neither one of us remembered it was two and a half hours. I, yeah. mean, I was like, this is a Marvel movie before the fact. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's it, I am always sort of bothered when this movie about how he, Cruz is like able to evade detection mm -hmm. and it's all it's all done well but it's sort of like oh yeah you know nobody is smart except for these guys and and that's a thing that there's movies where it's like i'm the ultimate spy in mission impossible it's like no you know i don't really buy that with you you know you're smart enough mm. uh but yeah you're not a ninja and you know you're not a um you know a super spy uh, so, I mean, there is a little kind of like, I think that stuff works with Total Recall. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I think that that has that whole subtext that that makes it work. And it's also goofy. Um, I, but I can't point to any scene here that I think is wrong because of that. 
I don't I don't feel thrust out of the movie. I feel like, yep, that was that was well done. I'm just it's just not. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't take it to a 10 for me, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it, one of the things that I have with this, with this film is that sort of the, with the concepts and the way it all rolls out, like I, I constantly feel like, um, I don't want to say there's a better film in there, but like you say, it's again, one of those that you think if you'd actually take maybe one more pass at the script, you know, and tightened it up a little bit in some places. Like this film would would literally jump up to that next level, because um, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, there's some bits that are just a bit too silly. That is, you know, um, but also like the, the main conspiracy plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so it's it's so sort of um. <laughs> Just sort of, you know, if everything has to be right in order for it to work, and I, I, I hate when that sort of all those coincidences have to sort of line up um, for it all to work because you're a bit like, well, so you're saying that he relied everything, like you know, everything on this one thing that I'm pretty sure there was another way around this, you know, <laughs> right? There's got to have been another way around this. Um, I mean, yeah, but things, but this film does raise good points. Um, actually, oh, yeah. one, one of the things that, that I was thought was really interesting, actually, is the opening scene of this film, mm-hmm. especially in this day and age. So the, the, the pure concept is they have... Actually, in the first, I'm going to bring up two points, actually, in the first bit. So basically, you have a, a pool with these three um, precogs in there, sort of uh, three individuals that have the ability uh, to see into the future. And the one thing they're able to, to determine with a fair level of accuracy, or 100% accurate, they say, is murders. So they can tell you when a murder is going to happen. <clears throat> and you either get a, like a, a wooden ball, or you get what they call a red ball. And a red ball is, it's going to happen any minute, because it's a crime of passion. And in doing this, his precognition has brought down the crime level and sort of stuff. But this one morning, some guy is about to find out that his wife is having an affair, and he's about to go off on one, and stab them both with scissors and whatever. <clears throat> so they get this red ball and then so you see some of the ideas are good and again it's one of these sort of like good idea bad idea but they have this idea that when this red ball is done they have the sort of like the the file they're able to see what the precogs can see and there's a level of detection but to keep it transparent and to keep them honest they have two witnesses from different areas of justice that i think is like a judge and a barrister or whatever and i thought again that's quite a clever idea they've actually thought about how this system would work and then it ends up with it. They find the guy, but what do they do? They send in basically some militarized unit to smash <laughs> someone's house to bits to find someone who is about to kill his wife. And all I could think about with this is I'm sure there's some de-escalation techniques that could have brought this to a very reasonable close. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you think about it, precognition should be the least dramatic yeah sort of cop movie right like you know we know you're about to commit a crime sorry bucko you're under arrest what what i Mm. i you know uh i haven't even thought of that yet or or i've got the gun in my pocket but i mean i'm not prepared in any way uh yet they make that opener um sort of an action set piece Mm. um and and I think it's I think it's a smart opener. I think it's mm. ambitious the way it sort of starts with those visions and 
and and you know you're sort of like okay what is it that i'm seeing and it's smart it's traditional kind to kind of start with that action opener and the status quo before you demolish it which happens very quickly but yeah i mean that's a good point uh i did think sort of as they're standing outside the houses and you know tom cruise is like you know it, it it's those moments where uh, you know that the writer and the director were trying to think of a way to make this more dramatic, yeah. uh, where Tom Cruise is just standing outside saying, you know, like, go through that footage. Tell me, you know, what the what the door looked like. Did he shut the door? No, the door's open. Well, that's how we know it's where to charge. <clears throat> it, it's the sort of, like, raising of Cleopatra's needle, you know, in Cleopatra. That doesn't mean to be a 20-minute scene yeah. cut back and forth that feels really dramatic. Well, the thing is, it serves two purposes. Like you say, it shows the, the the capability of your protagonist, and it shows that there's there is the ability to have a ticking clock um, in this. They can give you a time, and they can give you a sort of like some details of the murder. So it sort of sets up the plot for the main story. But again, it just felt so like, over, like literal overkill. Because what they have seen, they've seen that all this guy is. And the, the, the things they see in the murder, he's a dumpy middle-aged man about to kill his wife with a pair of scissors. They send in a team of eight people, <laughs> including four of them that come through a skylight on ropes with guns. And all I'm thinking is like, one cop could have done this. One per Tom Cruise on his own should have been, or two, two, him and a partner should have been. And then that partner being the blonde guy who is also Damien Dark in the uh, Arrow movies or the Arrow series. Um, should that that should have been it? Like, bring it down. Like, there's too much going on. In the opener. <laughs> like that, that feels a bit too Spielberg. It's a bit big. Um, but it was. I was like, wow. I wonder how many people get injured. In fact, there's a great, there's a great moment. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let you talk about. There's a great moment when they come through the ceiling, and they they sort of all pounce on the guy with the pair of scissors. Like twelve people on a pair of scissors. <laughs> And they've come through the glass, and the wife's like, "Ah, the lover steps on broken glass," and you can see him go, "Ooh, ah, ooh, ah," and I'm like, "Yeah, he's probably like cut his feet. He's got all kinds of stuff. Going. He's probably got tetanus. Like, you know, <laughs> is, is it worth it? You could have come through the door. Like, it just feels so. It, in this day and age, watching it now in hindsight, I'm a bit like, feels a bit, a bit silly. <laughs> you know, um, tr- trying to justify your budget, are you?" Yeah, well, the thing you have to understand is that we're Americans and we are very violent as a people. Yeah. Uh, we like to swat flies with bazookas. Um, no, I mean, that's a very good point about that sort of overkill. And you think that because he's sort of, this is a crime of passion. Mm. So presumably seeing an officer would probably snap him out of it. He's not going to stab his wife in front mm. of an officer. That's not this guy. That ought to be enough. Um, yet you sort of see Cruz rushing in and then the camera's kind of tight on the potential killer, you know, with the scissors. And then Cruz kind of like reaches into the frame and grabs him. Cruz came in the room, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. if, the, if the camera hadn't been so tight, you would have thought this isn't nearly so dramatic. And, and I didn't pick up on that until you were just talking about it. What I did pick up on was the skylight thing. Yeah. And it's after Cruz has got it. Yeah. that you know, It's like, cue the SWAT team falling yeah. through the skylight. You know, we're here. We're ready to go. Like, why did you even send these guys with the skylight? I, I didn't understand that. Well, one of the things that happens in the film, which I find is, is again, quite funny. And, and this is 
an interesting thing. It, should, it sort of should have happened the other way around. There's a scene later on when Cruz is on the run and he's been chased down by a bunch of federal agents and one of those agents drops their gun. And it looks like a shotgun. It looks like a sure enough shotgun. It's, it's got you know lighting. But what you find is he, he spins it round and it sort of like is like a, an energy weapon. It sort of fires off a, a pulse of sort of like energy. So it doesn't hurt them. It just pushes them away and you know through a mm. bunch of barrels, which is quite a cool idea. I like that. But surely, you know, you they have this weapon, which is a, a like a subduing weapon, yeah. Which that, mm-hmm. great, non-lethal, right? Which I'm thinking is a good idea. Yeah, they make a big point of him holstering his gun at the start of the film. And I'm again like, surely he should have one of those. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one's actually committed a crime yet when you turn up. So surely your non-lethal force should be your directive for this precognitive crime avoidance. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And it makes for a good special effect. Mm. Um, but but before, we, before we get into too many details... I want to say that I I think it's interesting what I remember from this movie and what I don't. Mm. I don't remember any of the conspiracy stuff. <laughs> I remember him running away. I remember, you know, sort of the cars and the car chase scene. I don't remember any of these other characters. I remember the precogs in that look. I remember the balls with people's names on them. I remember, um, you know, I remember that sort of stuff. I, I remember those visuals mm. also him using the uh sort of heads up display <laughs> uh, which has caught on right mm. i mean that might be the most influential uh thing about it but really the whole way that they have structured this this you know precog technology pre-crime is absolutely ludicrous yeah. <laughs> it just masked within spielberg wonder so you know you sort of go with it because Spielberg's very good at, like, mm. you know, he knows what to pull in on and give you that close shot so you don't realize there was 30 feet from the door and Tom Cruise grabbing this guy yeah. in which something should have happened. Um, but it, it, I remember all of that stuff. I think this movie has had a very lasting and surprising legacy, mm. um, even, my, you know, that it just seemed like, you know, a, a, an actioner at the time. But... Then there's all the stuff that I don't remember, and I think that kind of fades out over time. That isn't ultimately all that important. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. And again, you say about the legacy of this film, and I think you know there are certain things in this film that, and it's usually either something sort of um, a special effect, or as you said, the sort of the um, using the fingers on a you know, uh, some sort of screen. I mean, I think without this film, you wouldn't have Tony Stark doing it in 3D later in sort of, you know, Iron Man and those films. Um, Ironically, Tom Cruise was considered for Iron Man at one point. Um, But yeah, I I agree with even like the transparency, those things of having like the perspect things that pass information from one thing to that turned up in plenty of films later on and stuff. It's quite cool. It's a good, it's a good aesthetic. It looks pretty cool because it's not something we've got yet. It still looks like a good technology. Um, and I, I do like some of the sort of this, the, and there's the little spider things they've got and all these other things. But there's some, again, as you said, that's what that, that's the, the master that Spielberg is. Like they're the cool things that you go, yeah, they look really cool. The moment of him underwater, you know, and the spiders looking for him and all that, they're the things I remember, as you say. Unfortunately, when you look at it and you try and watch it and go, how does the story actually stack up? <laughs> I was a bit like, I'm not sure it does. There's still things in this film that I'm a bit like, 
coincidences have to have happened like like you know for this to have made any sense um and also what <laughs> it's, it, uh, yeah I'm, I, we'll get into the conspiracy plot of this in a moment because i'm not 100% sure why it happens and like, what the point is like i don't understand the point of it yeah. uh, like what it achieves um yeah what, i don't either but, yeah, but yeah, I mean, the whole pre-crime thing is, I mean, first of all, you have to believe in psychic powers, which, mm-hmm. you know, is done kind of um, uh, it, it, sort of, you know, Judge Anderson, like, um, you know, it, it's it's kept relatively believable. It's not, you know, you're not in the X-Men, mm-hmm. uh, but you do have to make this leap of faith. And then you sort of have to believe in this this program of altering them and, and you know, selling your daughter and ultimately that the government would set up this experimental pre-crime division, which, okay, that I can buy that. That's well enough. But then suppressing the idea that there's a, min- a minority report, how have you suppressed that? And they, and they say like, well, we've, we've done this because the public needs to know with, that these murders were going to occur with absolute certainty. Right, but they're not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're selling them on a technology that literally doesn't work, um, or at least, you know, it's like this is this is a, a test for COVID. Well, you know, it's got a sixty percent accuracy. <laughs> you're telling us it's ninety nine. Yeah. You might want to investigate that before you have a plan to roll that out nationally. Well, it's one of those things, and I started this watching it this time. When I got to the end, I had some serious questions because this thing's set up in Washington D.C. They keep they keep telling you that repeatedly, um, <laughs> just just to be really sure that it's not national. It's just happening in Washington D.C. I was like, fine, that's not a problem for me. <clears throat> it's a local. They keep referring to it as the precog experiment, you know, um, and fine, that that's good. This experiment has an awfully big budget because it's a massive building, um, and I'm not entirely sure what all these people in the building seem to do. Because it just seems to be Tom Cruise, his three mates, <laughs> Max von Sydow, and like two other people that really seem to matter. Um, but the thing I was I was quite they want to go national with this thing. And uh, maybe I missed it, and maybe you can clarify this for me. But you have these three cognitives in um the the uh, this pool. Agatha, Dashiell, and I forget who was called Arthur, something like that. The twins. The twins and then and then Agatha, yeah. And then and so what what I was like, okay, that's fine. And as you say, if you can buy into precognitive and psychic abilities, you can buy into that. How is, again, I can't believe the whole country is buying into it. Fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this is just the, the way the modern world works now. But more than that, I was thinking, you're basing your entire justice system around something that can last really no longer than 70 years. Yes. Because they're all going to die. <laughs> and Right. And, and who's, who's going to be doing this in all the other cities? Yeah, exactly. I mean, who are going to be yeah. these? Yeah, yeah. Is it just these three, or are you you somehow going to engineer other cognitive precogs? Uh, at no point did they explain how this thing's destined to work. Um, and that was sort of a bit of a problem for me. I was like, I don't, I don't understand how this seems to be set up as this thing. And that's when I sort of, you know, I'm like with the story, <clears throat> and that's the problem I then had with with this story. The idea of this being at the at the birth of it. And um, it, it, you know, it preventing it from escalating started to feel a bit, a bit of a problem for me. It's, it's been a nine-year experiment. They, 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 again, they tell you repeatedly it's been going for nine years. 
<clears throat> and um, Tom Cruise lost his son six years ago. So they're trying to give you a timeline of when things have happened, which, again, I get, makes sense. That's fine. But all I could, all I could think about is this thing of, like, well, what, what are they planning to do nationally? I don't get it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Again, I would rather this story have been almost the other way, of, or even later in the story, <clears throat> is it is a national thing, and there's a, there is an agency that, that supports it, and there's a conspiracy within that sort of because I could believe that that there's a conspiracy of like yeah yeah we do suppress these minority reports on a bigger scale because we're now talking a national system, um, and you have people protesting it. That's what I'd expect. Tom Cruise should start as a character that's like no I'm dedicated to this because and he should be like a bit of a prick really. He should be you know all those protesters they don't know they don't know yeah you know, they don't know what we're doing to save them. They don't understand all these people's lives we've saved, blah, 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 blah. Right. <clears throat> and he should be diehard into it and be sort of against the protesters who are actually highlighting the ethics of having three people trapped in, <laughs> in, a, in a semi-conscious state permanently in a pool, you know. Um, yeah, and then, I don't know how that is legal. I don't know how that was done, no. how that's even achieved. Yeah, yeah. and then, then it should unravel for him because it, it, it feels a bit easy for him, this whole thing of like, you know, it's more about his son than it is about the precognition. So, um, but yeah. It's, I mean, it, the son stuff yeah. is like to ground it in emotion, right? I mean, mm. um, and, and grounded in family. I mean, that's a very Spielbergian yeah. kind of thing, right? Except it's Tom Cruise, and it's impossible to, outside of Magnolia, to really care about Tom Cruise's emotions, mm. you know, because he he kind of, uh, he has that weird kind of like homunculus, you know, sort of like uh, expression of uh, not exactly jumping on the couch, but, you know, it's like, I know you're acting angry, but I'm not really sure you're angry. Yeah. Like, are you putting it on uh, that sort of weird thing? But yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I, I kind of thought initially, and I still feel that I kind of liked that it was a limited program mm. because I, I thought, first of all, it's going against the grain of all of these sci-fi movies that are just like, you know, in the future, mm. you know, crime is determined by precognitives, you know, in a world. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's like, no, this is the pilot program. This error hasn't been exposed yet. It probably would be if it were national. So often you sort of see this uh, stuff and it's national and you say, really? Nobody thought about this? Mm. All of those kinds of like errors are more tolerable in a pilot program. And I, I think that's the thinking behind it. And I think that sort of works, although although it occupies this weird weird space between sort of like a B-movie that just wants to say, okay, you know, there are people who see the future. Here's how this works. Go with it. It's really not important how any of that works. Mm. And it's not in this movie. But we want to explain it. We don't really have an explanation that is all that good, but we want we feel compelled to explain that stuff, whereas it, it might be better that none of that stuff is the stuff that I remember and both of us kind of have trouble figuring out how it works. Yeah. Uh, it, it might have just been better to just brush that off with a line of dialogue and get into the action or get into the the visuals and the ideas that we like. Yeah, because I think the thing is, like, say, um, I am nitpicking about some of the stuff of like, you know, it's, it's fundamental how this film works. But you're mm -hmm. right; this film kicks off the moment uh, there's a a ball is released and it has a name on it. Uh, uh, 
Leo Crow or Lee Crow. Mm. And then it's sort of, you know, Cruz is, is reviewing the footage. He's moving it around with his fingers. And he sees that he is the murderer. And so it kicks into events. Uh, it kicks, you know, kicks off the series of events that will then lead to that murder. Um, and I, I kind of like that that process because it does start to raise these questions of like, well, um, cause and effect. Like, well, if he hadn't have seen that footage, he wouldn't have gone into the investigation to look for it. Wouldn't have gone on the run, which wouldn't have led him to the murder in the first place. Which is, you know, yeah, it's, it's actually quite a clever setup. All right, you can ask that question. Um, but it comes in like so. It tells me like, okay, well, that was that was going to happen. Is this sort of? <laughs> it, um, yeah. I remember when we watched Red Dwarf. It's that we, we did that. It's like you know, this isn't going to be that, or this is what's happened. Well, it's not going. It's not what would have happened is going to happen. It's what is going to happen, but could have happened. It's what this weird explanation of like, well, <laughs> is this the, the actual future, or is, and that's obviously the Minority Report. But the fact is, all three of them have seen this. Right. They, there is no minority report for this murder. Like it's it's going to happen. Um, but I'm like, well, yeah, but it was only going to happen because he saw this footage. And then they put this. Then they put this weird thing in later on. Say, oh, it was a setup. I've got to, die. you know, when he meet when he finally tracks him down, and he's got these pictures of kids on the bed and stuff. And I love the fact that like they, they throw. Uh, there's, there's a moment that that when they actually do the investigation. Um, when they even call out that, you know, like Tom Cruise has sort of fallen for it, and then Colin Farrell, when he comes, he's like, "No, this is an orgy of evidence. Like, we never have this. This is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is clear." Yeah, yeah. Um, but he falls for it, and, he, and you know, then then this guy's, and they, you know, he starts reading his rights, and so he, he chooses. And I like that again when they're like, "No, no, no, he's made this moment. Like, he knows that precognitive is is is, is fallible, and he is choosing to read him his rights and take him in rather." Then kill him, and the guy's like, "No, no, you've got to kill me, in order for you, for my, for my family to be taken care of." And all I'm thinking is like, "Who set this up? Like, you, I know you've got to know the system, but what has this person been paid to do? Just live in this a flat for four days with a bunch of thick pictures of kids on the bed? Like, I don't know what you're yes. gonna die. You're gonna die at the end of four days." I, so what is it they're picking up on? This is the thing I keep struggling with. I'm like, so but so what is it the precogs? Because they talk about pre premeditation. You know, when they get a blue uh, a grate of or well, the normal wood ball, it talks about premeditation, but it can't have been premeditated because he's never met him, doesn't know about him, and it becomes a crime of passion when he meets him, right? Or would have done. Yeah, absolutely. I kept I kept wondering like, what is the rate for? Uh, pretending to be a serial child killer and then being killed for it. Mm. Um, how do you, how do you do that? How do you compensate somebody for that? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, who agrees to that? Yes. It's really um, bizarre. <laughs> yes. No, it is. I mean, I, I actually, that's, that's sort of like for me where the movie goes off the track. Mm. Um, I don't like the choice thing. I, I no. think I have to concede like, like this is a wonderful setup, right? Mm. And even after that first film, that first little bit with the the guy, then you get a sort of um, Starship Troopers, uh, Total Recall, uh, RoboCop sort of uh, advertisement. Uh, it's like, oh, Spielberg is channeling Verhoeven here, yeah. and and it works, and it's good, and you see all well, like all the Retina technology. There's a lot of just thinking about the future in this movie that's really good. 
but that that basic setup of seeing your name mm. and seeing that you are the killer and, and of somebody who you don't know who it is that's such a you know uh, philip k dick twist i mean mm. and, and the paradoxes of that um it, it's such a brilliant setup and yeah there's there's maybe a little too much action i mean i i don't like that they you know he's got to you know get what a precog and it's like i'm going back into the building and you know there's just sort of like too many steps for me but i'm sort of okay with it but i i just you know me like I, every time we talk about like uh, this isn't uh time travel but every time we talk about time travel we talk about these sci-fi stuff maybe i'm the cynic you know i just want <laughs> I, I i like determinism uh but i'm i'm so Anytime I hear somebody say, yeah, man, but you've got a choice, dude. You've got a choice. I just think, oh, my God, I've seen this scene a million times before. Um, and then he just kind of like lets the timer elapse. And, and all of my annoyance that he's somehow able to avoid all of this technology and he's the one guy. I like that he says everybody runs and yeah. he knows he's not going to get away with it. But the the idea that he has gotten away with it and he is somehow the magic guy mm. who's able to get away with everything. And also the one guy who said, no, I think I'm not going to do this. You mean to tell me like there wasn't ever a time where the cops got there late and the guy, you know, uh, didn't stab his wife. And they're like, wait a minute, this system, yeah. not so sure, you know? Yeah. Cause the thing is, one of the things you, you know, in this film is they go to, um uh they go to where they hold the prisoners you know so these people that have been caught for these precognitive crimes they're not just held in a cell like again they are sedated and held in some like matrix level weird thing <laughs> like they're put in a thing and again so there's no trial there's no there's no way of evaluating them they just seem to be put into this this thing and one of the things is that um when tom cruise is caught you know spoilers he is caught and, and put to this thing he is prisoner 1109 and i made a note of that because i was yeah. like they've caught an awful lot of people but that's an awful lot of premeditative premeditated and passion-driven murders in a nine-year period you know that they've they've caught and kept people for and all i could think of was like i wonder what the pre-capture paperwork and <laughs> um, like, what's the appeal process for this? Because technically, yeah. what's the sentencing? Like forever? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, and and that's part of the sort of implementation of this. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, I guess I can see that. Obviously, there's the sort of ethical questions about precognition, and and that's been brought up a lot in terrorism cases mm. that. We now have a system where after 9-11, uh, we bust lots of people for terrorism, and they are almost all people who have never committed any terrorist act, yeah. right? I mean, when the government says, you know, we prevented this act, usually it's a bunch of guys shit-talking, you know, who then an FBI agent, you know, sold them a rocket launcher, you mm. know, that never actually worked, never actually was used, and then they bust them for this ludicrous plan. Yeah. Um, so it's not always like that, but, but that, so 
the concept of precognition has come in into those discussions. And again, great for a science fiction movie to have that effect and be a touchstone of ethical debate. Having said that, as you say, like, how would this work in the legal system if that's a commentary on the history of new technologies being introduced in the legal system? That's actually quite good. Mm. Um, you know, fingerprinting, um, DNA tests. DNA tests were not, um, you know, the, the number one thing is that they're contaminated. Yeah. And, um, you know, even in cases where matches are not as clear, you have experts testifying and people buy the new technology, right? Mm -hmm. The jury wants to see that. Um, it's a CSI effect, but um, so new technologies are believed to be more infallible. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I still don't know how this would push through the legal system. I mean, yeah. you've got a special legal system just for DC in which psychic evidence can be introduced at trial, apparently. Um, and well, and then it doesn't appear to be a trial. They just go straight to these white right. tubes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just it's just dread, right? I mean, well, that's the thing as well. Like you know how um, someone has you know, um, and I'm, I'm going to let's just use it. So someone has a, you know some sort of mental illness. They've got schizophrenia, or and they have mm -hmm. an ep and they have an episode, and in that episode they lash out at someone and. They kill them completely by accident, right? It's just, it's just a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a, so a schizophrenic break or whatever. Well, they've still killed someone, but in the current judicial system, they don't get slammed into something. They go, well, this person clearly has severe mental health issues. We need to give them treatment and make sure they are protect. They're protected just as much as the public are. So we'll put them into a secure facility to get them treatment. Not. Well, they they killed someone, so we're going to shove them in a tube with everybody else. Like it, it seems so. There's like there's a complete lack of compassion, um, which I don't know. It was it's almost the point of this film is, and the point of the aspect you talk about the advertising campaign. You know, you have these people roll up and like they were waiting for me in the car park, and he was going to rape me and all this other stuff. And I'm like, that's great. They've saved your lives. They prevented you from this trauma. Um. But also, all they're doing is stacking people up in in like a box. It, it's, right, and it's without trial. trial. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the future, prisons are gooey, dystopian, weird places. There's mm. a lot of weird stuff going on. Um, yeah, no, it's it, it's very strange, and it's also, it's also so dystopian. <laughs> and I think that this movie, in other respects, takes pains to not present either a sort of dystopian or utopian point of view it's got cool technology but people's lives don't seem tremendously changed or liberated by it uh the colors are kind of gray i mean there's it, it's sort of a muted future there's you know there are clearly sort of a, a criminal element and, and discontents but there doesn't seem to be a lot of you know violence on the streets it doesn't seem as if everybody is happy and and you know at at, at peace in this wonderful uh, crime free utopia no um, one of the things that's interesting about this as well you say about the crime free ut you know utopia it's not they're addressing murder right. however right. part of this film still still raises the fact that like and our main character has a drug problem so there's a raging mm -hmm. drug industry as well as black market medicine and poverty is rife because they spend most of I forgot what they call it now. 
But there's these like blocks of flats, massive, huge blocks of flats that they all seem to live in. So there's a massive overpopulation, rife with drug uh, abuse and black market uh, medical procedures that are pretty, pretty yeah. I, mean, I love that bit. It's, it's fascinating. And um, yeah. like the, the guy who plays the doctor is, is one of my favorite character actors ever. Um, but um, yeah, I'm like, all right, you're reducing the crime rate. But you're not really helping the wider society. Like, you know, it's not like a golden or like a silver bullet to all these sorts of things. So, it's yes, it's an interesting choice to say we're doing great work. Everything else is shit, but this is doing all right. <laughs> well, but I think the movie doesn't have an interest in investigating those things. No. Right. I mean, it, it's not a movie about uh, sort of social strata in this society. Mm. It's not a movie about. Yeah, like it's curious to me the drugs thing. Uh, I had forgotten that he was a, a drug addict, um, and that's kind of played off as a side effect of having lost his son. Mm. And so it's sort of emotionally important to his story. Uh, it doesn't seem that important to me. I mean, it, it's not played off as like this is a social ill that. Um, no, it's just it's just a personal flaw. Mm. It's just a, in him. And in the same way, this is not a movie that's interested in, in investigating uh, those slums. It's not interested in investigating the society at all. And that goes to the prisons, right? Yeah. That there is sort of no, there's a lot of imagination to the look and feel of things uh, and a lot of good thought there, but there's not a lot of imagination to give into how this society would work, including how, a setting that you show, like the yeah. prison, would at work. Well, it's it's one of the it's you know we say that this film's two and a half hours long, and there's a, there's stuff in this film that I would cut out, and uh, they do a lot of things several times just to really sort of hammer things home. Uh, and and but the, the drug use seems like you say it's it's they're trying to give him depth, aren't they, to show that he's he's still racked with his grief and all this other stuff. But the way that the, it's played in the film, like it should have a payoff. Because they sort of mm -hmm. the, there's several points where they show him using it. It's some sort of like inhalation drug, and um, there is there was there was another point. I like the fact that when he goes to his drug dealer, uh, the guy's had he's sold his eyes um, to fuel his own drug habit, which obviously that does pay off. So this one little eerie scene pays off, but the fact that he uses all these drugs, and then there's a commentary that his boss, played by Max von Sydow, knows he's on these drugs and sort of says, "Look, well, just." Be careful because if they ask for a drug test, like it's going to show up. And I'm thinking, oh, that's going to come back at some point. You know, maybe he'll have withdrawal symptoms, or that him having the drug mm -hmm. in his system is going to give him away, or something like that. Nope, never mentioned again. <laughs> <laughs> never comes up. Doesn't matter. And you know, it's the same with like the um, those holograms. He has these sort of like uh, the holograms that he watches. Uh, of his wife and, and his, his son. And again, like, you know, I, I get it. It's good. But it's one of those that's sort of like, you know, it's used a little bit sort of un for the detection later on, but doesn't really. Having it as a whole, again, this feels like a whole uh, Spielbergian thing. So look, look at the effect we can do. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's, there's smaller ways that you can do that that would have had just as much impact and not wasted 10 minutes or, you know, five, seven, 10 minutes of a film. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like that there isn't a payoff for some of that stuff because mm. I do feel as if I like when a movie has 
unexplained uh, aspects and when a movie sort of visualizes the future mm. and you know and sometimes it's sort of dumb stuff and you're like oh look holo pens you know uh, uh, they're they're uh, quantum pens or something mm. uh, but but you know I don't need everything to have a payoff but I do think that the movie lingers too much on them um, and I and I do think that there are there are too many things like the cars where it's like, uh, yeah, it's an amazing scene, but uh, I'm basically like watching Tom Cruise play Frogger in real life, and I don't <laughs> believe it. One, it, I mean, it really looks like a two dimensional video game there. Yeah, uh, sort of. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, one of those like uh, yeah. block breaking things. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And like, one of the things I would say is that the one of those aesthetics of this film is you know that car thing, that like pod car that goes vertical up walls and stuff, and then sort of attaches to your apartment building and all that kind of stuff. There was a part of me that's like, you know, uh, we're going to be watching Dread soon, but when that with those roads come off and there's all those cars flying past, like that's a view of Mega City One. Like that, that I like yeah. that. That um, cityscape was awesome. Like the de the design of that was excellent. I was really enjoyed that. Um, but then again, like they do silly again, like you know, some silly things that sort of verging on the daft. Again, like with the action set piece, talking about those cars. There's a scene in this when it sort of it gave me echoes of uh, Attack of the Clones, fighting on a production line is one of those. Oh yeah, where avoiding yeah. technology. Is, is become such a bit of a trope and such a cliche, um, and it's it's fine. Like in fact, if anything, uh, Cruz and and Farrell do it better than they do it in um, uh, Attack of the Clones because they don't. Which roll isn't hard. I mean, <laughs> that's true. Um, but at least in this, like you know, within the seconds, like uh, Colin Farrell's character sort of realizes this is really dangerous and like gets out. Um, right. And so I, I appreciate that. What I don't appreciate, or what I think is silly, is Cruz then stays there, and they're all like, "He's going to be mashed up in this car because the seats have been plopped down, and then they're going to put down the carpet." And it's all automated, the whole thing. And then what happens is a car comes off the end of the production line, all painted and all shiny with all the interior done, and Cruz sits. Tom Cruise sits up in the car, and even I'm like, "Really? Come on!" Yeah. Like. <laughs> That, that, yeah, I mean, and it, it's a cool visual seeing that car get painted, right? They is. have this kind of like that's smart spray paint, and mm. the production line also looks. I mean, what what is this? Two thousand two. Mm. When is when is Attack of the Clones? Uh, Same year, two thousand three. Okay, well, I mean, the yeah. CGI looks a million times better in this than yes. it does in Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones looks like it was rendered on a Nintendo sixty four, <laughs> um, but yeah. you know, this looks so much better. But yeah, you're right. It's absolutely preposterous. And it's like yet another action set piece that mm. kind of relies upon, you know, and, and, and the thing that's frustrating is like that, that car chase scene, the car shutting down, crews getting out, trying to run. Everything about that is, is good, mm. except it's got to gild the lily and do the frogger <laughs> bit, right? Uh, you know, that assembly line, yeah, I mean, it's a cliche setting, but there's a lot that's good going on there. The performances are good. The CG is good. And, but it's then it's got to gild the lily and have, you know, Cruz be in this car and, you know, have mm -hmm. that dramatic moment. What, I, I, I don't know. You say with gilding the lily. One of the things I noted watching this this time, they can't finish an action set piece without a joke. You know, <laughs> without a wink or a nod, a bit of a ba-dum-tsh. 
kind of moment. Like every single one, there's the whole thing with the jetpacks, which has got them all going mm. around people's apartments, and you know they bump into the floor and the whole table jumps up. And then like, there's some bits that are good. You know, it's okay. That's funny, but you're trying to have a tense action scene, like you know, where they go up through a, a, a construction pipe and it all catches on fire as mm. they fly. But there's some good bits. I'm like, it's it's well, it's well shot. It's well orchestrated. But then it ends with them going through the wall and some kids on there with a saxophone and, and they sort of get <laughs> yeah. knocked out on the bed and it's sort of he's like you know stay you know he's like oh stay asleep or go to sleep or something he rolls him over on the bed and you're like ah yeah get the joke dad joke number one and then when he does the frogger <laughs> moment and he goes through the window like Cruz ends up like crumpled up with his feet over his head and he, oh, looks, yeah. he looks over and there's a bunch of other contortionists in the room. And the, you know, and they're like, "Are you all right?" And I'm like, "Okay, that now, now that's just it. That's another joke, another gag." And then you have the gag of the car, and it, it and then and they, they do it again. Like he breaks into, um, the police headquarters, the precog headquarters, mm. and I, get, I like the idea of the muscle relaxant that just makes his face all droop, which must be incredibly painful and all this other stuff. Like, that's a great idea. I like that too. Yeah. But then he has to use his eyes. His, his, his eyes that he's had oh. removed to, to get in. And again, I'm like, that's a cool idea. Oh, so far, so far, I'm all on board with this. Oh, oh he's dropped him. He's, he's chasing him down a corridor like, like Bugs Bunny. And then he just catches one before it falls down a grate. And it's like, I don't know what mood Spielberg was in. But again, it's that thing of like, stop undercutting things mm-hmm. with humor. Like, you don't need it. You don't need, we don't need. The, once maybe, but you know, and also remember who like, I think you've made a point. Like, remember who your star, star is. <laughs> if, if you were yeah. doing a film, if this was Eddie Murphy, or I don't know who two thousand two would be, but like, I think if you were doing like an Eddie Murphy film, or if this was now, if this was The Rock, Chris Tucker, like, Chris Tucker, if this was or Mel Gibson or someone like that, you'd probably get away with those jokes because it's that sort of like that charisma, that wink and you know that bit of a a wink and a nudge, it doesn't work with Cruz because no. whilst he's a good action star, he's not funny. <laughs> yeah, and and I do think that there's this issue with tone. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's I hadn't sort of realized how repetitive I had forgotten about that yoga scene. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, who would remember that? It's so bizarre. <laughs> but I mean, there are these moments where you think like, where I sort of think, is this is this just going into some sort of like weird, like artsy territory? Like, I mean, with the jetpacks, I think like, okay, we've kind of gone into B movie mm. gag stuff. Right. Mm. And then, no, we're just back to normal stuff. And then with the, the yoga thing, I'm thinking like, Oh, uh, is this kind of like a weird sort of like David Lynch indulgence? Like, is this, um, you know, this wants to be uh blade runner, you know, it's just got weird things, you know, this is, no, no, it's just a gag. Mm. And in the same way, like I was saying about how it explains too much and yet explains too little, um, it doesn't, I, I feel as if there's a version of this that is a Bowie movie that mm. is just an, an action romp and you don't really care that the conspiracy doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, you get in, you get out, you see a splendid future. And I think I would like that better. And then there's a more like slow, nuanced, um, not giving explanations, but just moody sort of uh, Blade Runner version of this that 
doesn't need to explain all that stuff, probably doesn't star Tom Cruise. Mm. And I think I'd like that one better. Um, but there are these sort of tonal weird moments. There is. I mean, you know, one of the things we talk about tonal moments that don't pay off. And again, it's, part of me wonders if it was producers, but I think maybe it was Spielberg not willing to go to the dark places that I think this film needs to go to is the thing where he has his eyes replaced. Um, which is a cool scene and a great concept. You've learned that this technology is based on his retina recognition. So he can't have his own eyes because his eyes are obviously, you know, like his fingerprints. They're, they're unique and they're recognized. So you have to have your eyes replaced. And you think, oh, that's actually a really cool idea. But he can't do it anywhere else. He has to do it on the black market. And so they get in this sort of like this crazy doctor. He's called Dr. Solomon Eddy, played by uh, Peter Stormare, who I love. Ever, ever since Armageddon, and he played the cosmonaut in that, I've loved him in everything he's in. He's, you know, everything. Whenever he does a Coen Brothers film and stuff like that, like he's he's yeah. brilliant. Um, you are the first human being to ever say, "Ever since Armageddon, I yeah. found <laughs> artistic passion." He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we get to that film, and we may do <laughs> season twenty or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no, he's. I, I love him, and but in this film, like, there's a moment when he's he's sedated, uh, Cruz, and he's sort of saying to him, like, you know, he's he's about to go under, and he says, like, you know, he says, oh well, being old friends, I'm gonna do, you know, we'll give you an old friends discount. And he said, well, what do you mean? Do we know each other? And you find out that actually, he has this really dodgy past, of he used to be a burns, uh, uh, victims, plastic surgeon for burns victims. And when they were under, he would set them on fire again before he did the thing, and it was to make videos of it. And you're like, that's really dark. Like, that's really yeah. weird. And it's sort of slightly played for laughs, and you're sort of like, okay. But you're like, he's ruined this guy's career. He's obviously lost his medical license. He's now working on the black market. It's all really seedy. And you, I think you're supposed to feel a tension that, like, what's he going to do to him? Like, is he going to do something to Tom Cruise whilst he's under or leave some mark behind Nope. If anything, he actually leaves him additional stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he actually says, as a, as a benefit, because I feel like you're on the run from something, here's something that's going to help your facial recognition as well. And I'm like, I don't... He ruined your life. Like, you're clearly a horrible <laughs> person, but, like, he, I don't understand why you're helping him. Leave, I mean, granted, he eats horrible food and stuff, but, like, you, they do actually leave him milk and a nice sandwich yeah. and all sort of stuff. Like, I... I and it's that scene where I'm like, if you say about tonal, it's like, this makes no sense. Like, you're setting him up to be like a little mini villain. Like, there's supposed to be this tension, but it goes nowhere. Like, nothing happens. It's pointless. It's a pointless part of the film. Yeah, no, I, it's also one of the most enjoyable parts yeah. of the film. Uh, you know, I think for both of us, I and I love the the visual, um, not just under in the, under the water in the tub, but... Mm. Um, but also just of him with a bandage over his mm. eye and the cords, you know, one goes to the bathroom and one goes to the kitchen, um, you know, and it's kind of absurd. This takes 12 hours to heal. It's like, you know, I'm on a 36 hour timer. How convenient, you know, I'm in, it's just a little too video gaming, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's charming and weird and, uh, but it doesn't really belong in this film. And you're right. There's this sort of like dark, Thing. And I, th- I think one of the reasons I like that bit is that here is the cop who has been upholding the law mm. and now he's on the run. He's got to have a sort of like encounter with the dregs, right? Mm. With the, 
uh, that is scary and unsettling to him. And I think thematically that works. But why does he need to have that oh so very dark past? And then again, you you know who what is it? Uh he's got a the eyes belong to a Japanese man. Yeah. Uh you know, so there's this joke, you know, <laughs> it's his eyes it's like uh I, I forget his name, but you know, he sees the uh screen say like uh something like, you know, would do you want a coke, Mr. Nagatomi? You know, yeah. like, oh really? <laughs> no. Uh, but again, it's a joke. It's like you've got that dark thing, and then minutes later, you've got this this comedy thing, and it doesn't really matter that. I mean, nobody's going to say, "Oh, really? Is that really your name?" Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, not not this all. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and the thing is that some of the jokes, like you say, some of the humor is fine. It's that gilding of the lily, like you said before, though. Sometimes it just goes too far. One of the things you've just said as well about an alternate version of this that works is there's a film that I really like. Um, and I, I did think about it when I was watching this film, a film called Strange Days, um, yeah. 1995 Strange Days, um, directed by Catherine Bigelow. And uh, starring Ralph Ray Fiennes and stuff, and I will we will do that film one day because again, but that's got a very similar plot. You know, it's about uh, memories being, um, mm. you know, you wear a net a netting over your head that can absorb your memories, and then people can play them back. And he collect he uh, Ray Fiennes plays a dealer in this who receives uh, memories of a murder, and then it's sort of like you know he has to unravel this sort of like crime stuff, and that's I love that film. That's a great film. Um, and that plays it completely straight. Like that gets really dark at times and stuff. And I think, you know, if that was 1995, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it just feels like you know Spielberg's taking a, like he's taking a Philip K. Dick thing. He's I think he feel, it feels a bit like he's seen Strange Days and then gone, but I'm going to add some family fun in for it as well. And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe roll that back a little bit. Yeah, and Spielberg is, is, a, is a weird nut that way. And clearly this is aimed at the general audience, right? This is yes. trying to be a an actioner, sort of, you know, in the mold of the Matrix, right? Um, sort of an actioner with some good ideas, mm. some philosophical resonance, some ethical questions. But at the end of the day, have it look good, you know, and, and sell tickets yeah. based on. And, and to some degree, you know, Total Recall is is the same thing. Uh, I mean, Total Recall, you know, is uh, like a baby to me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I love it. But, um, you know, the movie that I kept thinking of is uh, I, uh, Steven Spielberg's other stuff. Um, and I, I think it was just before this, he did AI. Mm. And I think AI is the superior film of the two. I think AI is um, is vastly underrated. Mm. Um there's no doubt this movie has had by far more influence and AI is kind of relegated to, yeah, let's not talk about that one in, in terms of Spielberg's oeuvre. Um, but in that one, he's channeling Kubrick. And so he sort of lets the plot meander mm-hmm. and scenes like uh, Cruz with the surgeon would fit in something like AI. You can, you can take that time. You can just let it be weird. You can let, um, this just be sort of surreal and interesting in these subtle ways. But I mean, you said at the, at the beginning, there is no context, right? I mean, <laughs> there is no subtext. Subtext yeah. always becomes text within minutes. Yeah. That's what this movie wants to do. 
And in that movie, in that version, it there is a kind of like plasticity. There is a kind of, uh, you know, we, this weird tonal thing and, and a kind of like lack of subtlety and depth that irritates me, even as I think it's astounding how influential this movie is for mm. a 2002 movie that, you know, isn't counted as, uh, you know, I mean, Jura Jurassic Park has far more influence and people will cite that. Um, so... I don't yeah. know. I think of his other movies. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, and that's the thing you say about the plasticity of it. It feels very, again, watching it, like I say, it was fun. I enjoyed this film. I came away from it at the end thinking, yeah, that was good fun. You know, it, 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 it's, it's not too bad. The thing is, I kept, the, the one thing is throughout it is there were scenes that kept making me think of other films. <laughs> And I think that was yeah. my that was my problem. I was thinking like this was two thousand and two. This came out, and all I could think of was films from the nineties. I thought like I thought of Strange Days. The bit with the mm -hmm. surgeon made me think of uh, Escape from L.A., um, where they have the plastic surgeon played by Bruce Campbell, and um, yeah. the end showdown where they sort of they release all the information and then he confronts him on the balcony. I was thinking of um, uh, Harrison Ford as the fugitive. Uh, there's it, just all these moments I'm like, they're good but I've seen them done elsewhere and I'm not sure if this is the, if they were done better elsewhere but I've definitely seen them elsewhere and so I was like, it's almost like when, you know, the, the guy who wrote this, I'll be interested to see I'm going to check actually but like I said, it, it's all, you know I, I can imagine that the, the, the Dick story is um you know, obviously, I don't know if it's, it's a short story, so I'm assuming it's very concise and it's quite, you know, it's more about the sort of the, the, the sci-fi of it all rather than the satire and all this other stuff. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's just sort of moments in this film where you go, mm, they clearly didn't know what to do with this, so they've watched some other movies and taken bits out of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think what you're saying is sort of, it, it gets to the sort of like very polished mishmash kind of uh kind of feel that this movie has and and spielberg look spielberg's a master i mean he he's able to polish this stuff and uh, so much stuff that shouldn't work mm. works or mm. works passably well um or doesn't bother us in, in another director's hands we would have a lot of objections um and we have objections here but yeah i mean it it, it holds up it, it's fun to watch and i I remember seeing it in the theaters and, and thinking the same thing and thinking, wow, I, I did not expect that to be that good. I don't know that I'm going to cite this ever again, uh, <laughs> you know, but I had a fun romp mm. and, you know, my heart didn't soar. Right. I mean, there was sort of I mean, Jurassic Park is a kind of fun romp, mm. but your heart kind of soars. Right. Mm. I mean, you get that music and, you know, those themes are more uh, evocative. And I think here, the cruise plot and the sort of like family plot never affects me. And, and that ending feels so saccharine to me. Yes. Uh, the ending doesn't work for me. Well, like I said that the, the, there's almost like a third, there's a third act. The, 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 they have all the action stuff and then they go into the Spielberg <laughs> and sort of like, it's almost like an epilogue, isn't it? Like there's a whole, mm -hmm. um, they get to Cruz's wife's house. And there is a moment in this actually, I really, th I think is done quite well. More so because of the female actress uh, um, who plays Cruz's wife more so than Cruz, because 
I think he plays it a bit too much. But there's a he's, he's got Agatha, the, uh, the the precog. They're in the house. And it's clearly the house they lived in with their son before he, he was taken. And she just says, I can feel the love in this house. And she is able to tap into an alternative. She she was able to sort of like preconceive of a, a, an alternative future from the moment of him being six. And she lays it out and she's like, you know, he's six and this happens. Then he's 11 and this happens. And he goes off to college and he goes off. And I'm like, that bit, the, the, the girl who plays the, the precog plays it really well. Like, She's just like as if she's remembering. Oh, and the, yeah, and then this happens, and then da, da. Mm. and that's really touching. And I can see why that would, as a parent, like break them down. They're like, you know, this is the life he could have led. And she's not doing it to hurt them. She's actually saying that, look, I'm tapping into the emotion of this of this place. It becomes very sort of psychic. I'm tapping into the emotion of this place, and here's what you would have done with as parents. Like you, you were. What she's telling them is, this wasn't your fault. You were mm. good parents. And I kind of like that because it sort of resolves that for Cruz and and the wife to say this was none of this, this this was a horrible terrible incident that was not your fault you were good parents and this is the life he would have led and I kind of like that he, he is given that at the end of the film as the character and the, the wife as well and I was like oh maybe that's gonna they're gonna resolve it here nope you're gonna go on to do this other bit where they're trying to have to now resolve the conspiracy. And so you get this thing of like, well, it's going to go national. So we have to prove that it works. And it's 100% by, by setting up one of our own. Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, yes. now, now I don't get it. But then also we've now uncovered this other thing with the minority reports of how you – so it, it introduces three sort of sci-fi concepts. You have the minority report, which is the alternative, which we know about. But then we also get murder echoes where once the crime has been stopped, they get like an echo of it. So they they sometimes see it again once it's been prevented. And you've got this idea of it going national. So one of your own has got to be set set up, which makes no sense to me either way. Yeah. And so they, they, they uncover this conspiracy of like the parents of the pre one of the women or the mum of Agatha let her go because she was a sort of, you know, a teen who had this child and had to give her up, blah, blah, but then came back to get her. So Max von Sydow killed her sort of nine, ten years, or nine years ago, whatever, and yeah. used this echo effect to try and mimic it. He set up another murder to be prevented uh-huh. to then go use the echo to commit a real murder. And I'm just sort of like, Do what you could have done. You could have just, <laughs> you, you know, they clearly can only see so far. You know, they're, they're effects. Right. So, because that's part of the end of this film, they're, they have a sort of a geographical um, circumference or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. drive outside of that. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Right. There is a point where you sort of feel like, how many, how many murders are, uh, you know, in, in a murderless city, right? First of all, there, there sure are a lot of people in that prison. But mm. secondly, you know, like, the people running this program uh, and and everybody involved is so ready to murder people. And, and there's, you know, it's like this idea of murder that is just kind of like, well, that's the one crime that we can solve. No, that's the crime we're all going to be resorting to everybody up and down the, the hierarchy. You know, we just love our killing. Um, it, it just, it becomes a little sort of like uh 
thematic like uh here's my penguin mobile like it's just a little too on point it is I mean, you know this whole thing of um because he says that once the cognitives get switched off because agatha's out the pool look you know he utilizes that to kill Corin farrell's character and i kind of like that idea but there's also a great moment in this film about this because colin farrell sort of comes in and he's the one because he's coming in to represent the um uh you know bill barr uh your general um <laughs> whatever it's called um, our attorney general attorney general and so he starts poking holes in this whole justice system a bit like what we're doing really and i kind of like that he does that but there's a great moment where um cruz has sort of seen his own uh himself committing this murder so he's trying to escape and, and farrell sort of steps into the the the, the elevator with him and he has mm -hmm. a confrontation with him and he puts the gun under sort of uh, cruz puts the gun under farrell's chin and he's like I don't hear an alarm for a red ball anywhere, so you're not clean up. <laughs> and then the alarm goes off, and you just see the panic in his face. He's like, oh, oh, this could be it. <laughs> Something's gone wrong. Um, and so it's, if anything, to me, sort of Colin Farrell's probably one of the most interesting characters in this film because, like, you know, he's come in to sort of to, he's come in as the, as the skeptic. And as an audience yeah. member, you're supposed to see him as, as almost not so much the villain, but maybe a sort of an, a bit of an antagonist. Um, and then, but halfway through, I'm like, no, I, I'm, I think you're right. Like, you seem to have a, a, a <laughs> grasp on this. Like the way you're going about it's not right, but you've got a, a pretty strong grasp on the fact that this isn't all sunshine and roses. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's just interesting that, like I say, by the end of the film, they've sort of completely pulled their own structure apart. Um, and you do sort of look at it and go, this this was all avoidable. Like, <laughs> like it, yeah, like maybe let that guy audit you, <laughs> and maybe we would have found this whole Maori report problem and all these echoes. And I mean, yeah, it's one of those like convoluted plots where yeah. where you say, was this necessary? You know, really, that was your plan. Mm. Um, you know, like there was a simpler way of going about this. Yeah. I know you need this for dramatic effect, but I mean, I, and I, I do like the Colin, and I think I like Colin Farrell personally. I mean, I think he's a, a fun guy to watch on screen. I think I, I like him more than Cruz. Um, you know, the Total Recall remake is not a good movie, mm. uh, but I would like to see the roles reversed in this movie. I think uh, that would be interesting. I agree, actually. Colin Farrell's one of those people at this point that he has that kind of sort of cheeky charisma that would have got away with those jokes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he can still do the kind of like the tough guy, but he feels like he can all he can do the tough guy, but he also is able to do sort of like fish out of water. Mm. Like part of the problem with Tom Cruise is he seems to believe that I almost feel as if he <laughs> I almost feel as if he I'm not I'm not gonna talk about Scientology, but <laughs> I, I almost I almost feel as if he believes that he has to always be confident and always portray confidence. And so when he's acting, he's thinking of himself and how he needs to be confident as an actor, even when he's playing somebody who's sort of at an at, at a loss. Yeah. And and I, and I, I there's this odd kind of like awareness of him acting and of a kind of he doesn't come off as somebody who really is confident. He sometimes comes off as really professional and it does work, mm. but oftentimes he comes off as somebody who, you know, like uh, there are those actors who 
especially male actors who struggle with anything that doesn't fit their kind of like tough guy oh, uh, image that they want to present. And this is sort of like his version of that. Whereas Farrell is, is, can do the tough guy, but is not insecure about seeming like a fish out of water or scared or anything. No. And I think when you look at the, the, um, when you look at their sort of like back catalog and future catalog of films that these two do, you can very much see <laughs> one uh, say is probably fueled a little bit by sort of uh, toxic masculinity. And the other one is actually quite a good actor who can do different kinds of things. Um, I, I'm slightly convinced, you know, like he's, you know, with crews, he's doing these bigger and bigger stunts. He's always doing it himself. He's learned to fire a helicopter. He's hold his breath underwater for more than three minutes and all this other stuff. Whenever I watched it again, think of other things. I was watching this, and you see him hanging on to that car, and I'm like, if this was now, that wouldn't be CG. They'd be like, we've built this car and this ramp, and Cruz is going to hang on to it for you know 20 minutes. Um, I swear he is going to die when they go to space for Mission Impossible 12, and he's a bit like you remember in um, like in, again in Red Dwarf with confidence and paranoia. Like his confidence, like, I'm Tom Cruise. I can breathe in space. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom. That's when Tom Cruise dies. Tom Cruise dies when he sort of believes he can breathe in space. Um, but, well, you yeah. know, in a way, if they had done that uh, hanging onto the car scene with actual cars, it would have had to be more believable because mm. that is just a rounded surface. Um, having, having jumped on stuff that I shouldn't have jumped on in my life a lot uh, <laughs> and fallen off lots and lots of things. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't believe anyone would be brave enough to make that jump. But also, if you did, you'd just slide right off. I mean, yeah. especially at those velocities and stuff. And I'm always so irritated. I know it's such a cliche, but I'm so irritated at it's like we all have our, our sort of bugaboos based on our own experience. As somebody who's cracked my skull open, you know, uh, before, uh, really, you know, split my skull almost in half. Uh, I hate watching people like take a fall and they just like stand right back up. I'm like, no, this is, this is not the way this works. And, and maybe if I didn't think as a young man, I was so immortal, maybe I wouldn't have taken those chances. But yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm always irritated at people hanging on to things mm. way longer than our arms. You know, it's one thing if you, you know, you really want to hang on to something, have a handcuff and tie yeah. it, you know, connect it to something. You'll hang on fine. Your your wrist is going to hurt like hell. But no, you know, people holding on to ledges, you know, yeah. no. People holding on, grabbing somebody else's hand. Yeah, you better pull them up in, you know, about 30 seconds or somebody's going to drop them. We just do not hold on to objects like this. No, we're just not designed to, are we? I mean, um, you have to be, I mean, uh, Cruz probably do quite well because he's incredibly athletic, incredibly fit, but like, you know, and you have to be built like maybe Stallone or someone like that, like, you know, and um, even it's funny because say I remember there's a, a thing of um, an interview with Stallone and, and Schwarzenegger from the early 90s. And Stallone was sort of going through his one of his fitness regimes he was doing for a film when he was talking about stuff. And Stallone and Schwarzenegger was like, yeah, I can't do that. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. built for that. I'm built to lift heavy, heavy things. He's built to do this. And it's sort of yeah. like it was it they were just talking about that. And I was like, yeah, Schwarzenegger couldn't pull himself up on a ledge, but Stallone probably could. You know, it's, it's so you look at it and you go, normal people can't do these things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So and I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I I get like Tom Cruise is you know an action star, but 
I don't know. I, I have a problem with a lot of these action stars, and I didn't growing up. Mm. Um, you know, I, I still love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, I can't help myself. I, I love the guy. Mm. It's like he's better than Shatner, right? I mean, yeah. Shatner is apparently just a horrible person, but I love watching him. Uh, you know, Schwarzenegger, I mean, he, he had no business being governor, but, you know, I mean, I love the guy. I, I just, mm. I love watching him. I love seeing tapes of him, talking about politics. Um, and uh, Stallone, you know, was the, you know, the guy I, I liked less, but I mean, he's done some, some serious good movies, you know, mm. I mean, he decided to, to be a real actor. Um, uh, you know, in a way, Schwarzenegger did too. Bruce Willis. I mm. mean, Bruce Willis is the sort of everyman action star from that era that, um, you know, yeah, he's gotten a little full of himself, but he's still so much fun in trashy, you know, mm. Red One is just a lot of fun. You know, I love him in the second G.I. Joe. I mean, you could just throw Bruce Willis in stuff. And as long as it's not horrible, cough, cough, die hard uh, sequels. <laughs> You know, it's he he can just be so much fun. And I don't really believe that he's a super macho tough guy, but he's so much fun. I've never bought, I've never bought uh Stone. I've I, I mean uh yeah, I've never bought uh, I've never bought him and I've also never bought uh Liam Neeson, mm. you know, for Bacon. I just feel like there's this whole generation of like action stars where I'm like, yeah, you know, your body's not built for that. Uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's this thing, and the thing is, it's all about. It's, there's, a, there's a charm to it as well, you know. When you look at like Stallone or uh, Schwarzenegger and, and, and Willis and a few others, like you know, th there's a reason they got away with it is because it was always done with a bit of tongue in cheek. You know, there's a bit of a glint in their eye that's sort of like, yeah, I'm doing this, but I know how silly this is as well. Like Commando is a prime example of this thing of like, you know, or rather if we're going to keep it in the sci-fi realm, I mean, you know, there's films like the sixth day or um, there's a few of the films where sort of, especially in the nineties, uh, you know, or um, demolition man's another good example where, you know, mm. it's demolition Man's silly and everybody in it knows it's silly and they're playing it silly. And you go, you know, it's a sci-fi idea. And we will talk about that because I love that film. But they're like, yeah, it's daft. But, like, you know, it, you, so you get away with the charm. And, you know, when sort of, like, Schwarzenegger's playing um, an, an everyman, like, in the sixth day, and you're like, but he's 6'4", or he's 6'2", and he's built like that. <laughs> yeah. Ign ignore that. Don't worry about that. Move on. Um, it's the same. And the thing is, with Cruz, like, I don't... It, whilst he has a, cer a certain charisma, and he can do... Like, I love the Mission Impossible films. And I think he's actually grown into doing these things. At this point, he's too earnest. He's trying to be too earnest. And I think, you know, Spielberg isn't. Spielberg is trying to do a fun sci-fi adventure film with some themes thrown in for, for good measure that he's not really focusing on. Cruz thinks he's doing a different film, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. No, I'm with you. Um, I get that he's probably read the book you know he's, he's read he's read the philip k dick story he's probably read some additional stuff he's then read the script and gone yeah this is going to be sort of like you know a sci-fi satire on this and this and Spielberg's going no no no, you're, you're going to be jumping off cgi cars <laughs> uh and so yeah i i do think i think i do think Cruz is making a slightly different film to spielberg no i think that's true um 
I, I wanted to get back to like that, the, the family issue that you brought up um, because it seems to me, you know, Cruz's character and it, it is connected for me because I think that Cruz's character feels very hollow and superficial to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's surprising in a Spielberg movie because Spielberg is, um, you know, I, I am a fan of the Transformers movies, mm. uh, including the Bay stuff. Um, that first one, I know exactly every moment that is Spielberg's influence. Um, you know, every time you see a character just kind of humanized and you get it, he is so good at like Jurassic Park. Everybody's got an arc. Everybody's got something they're torn up about. And, and Spielberg's able to, in a few lines, he lets the camera speak for characters and convey an emotion. Um, He's just so good at that. And it's, and it's surprising me to me that that the kernel of that story is there with, I lost my son. Most marriages break up afterwards. Uh, And, um, you know, and I sort of became obsessed with, with stopping this. I mean, this is the story of Batman, right? Mm. Uh, But, and then at the end, he's sort of reunited with her and they sort of decide to have another son. And you see, she's pregnant this all happens in like two seconds. Um, but, you know, and it seems that there, that is, as you point out in that scene, like it's thematically connected to the concept of precognition and the concept of destiny and having a choice, right? Mm. That we can, um, yeah, this happened. This seemed like fate. Like we couldn't recover from this and, and we were broken. And all I knew how to do was to stop these murders and now I realize through this exploration of the entire film that uh, we are not just prisoners of fate. You know, we we can write our own futures and not in a dumb kind of, you know, Terminator uh, ending monologue. But, you know, uh, you know, we can try again. Um, you know, our, our there is hope and our and our. Maybe I've been really obsessive. I mean, there's a character arc there mm. that thematically is connected to the whole movie. The skeleton of that is there. I, and I can't for the life of me understand why Spielberg of all people doesn't string that through and, and make that pay off. Well, I, I was just having to Google then of like the most successful actors of 2002, as you were saying. Because you're right, because the thing is, like, there's some really cool stuff in this, and that thing about the family, like, it's 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 prime Spielberg, you know, going back to E.T. and everything before it. It's sort of, so why not? Cruz is the third most successful, oh, sorry, the fourth most successful actor of 2002. So there's a part of me that says, at this point, he was the golden boy, you know, mm-hmm. you were kicking off uh, the Mission Impossible franchise, from the late 90s into the 2000s, you've done a bunch of other stuff. I think while Spielberg still was was high up on his game, there I think that I can't I can believe there would have been a well, this is what I want to do, and this is the, the, the story I wanted to explore. And then Cruz saying, as you said, not allowing himself <laughs> to be seen as anything other than the tough guy, saying, No, no, I want it to be this neo-noir cop on the run. Here's all the action sets we're gonna do. Um, and I can imagine that being the case because it, it there is a chance to explore this, especially one of the things I was most um, surprised about is that he doesn't say he doesn't go and get Agatha sooner. 
It takes mm-hmm. way too long to get to that point because of all the other action set up and all this other stuff. Like that should come a lot quicker. And it should almost be a bit, um, again, thinking of films that happened before, this Mercury Rising or, uh, you know, this sort of Lone Wolf and Cub or whatever idea. Him re-engaging with his parental... Make her younger for a start. Like she's meant to have been a pre-cook for nine years. Oh, yeah. make, make her a, a pre, you know, not pre-teen. Make her a mid to late teen. She seems to be in her twenties. I don't know, but make her a teenish. Allow him to re-engage with that parental feelings through having to protect her. But she almost yeah. becomes a vessel, but throughout the whole thing, like she's just yeah. she's just there. I mean, there's a quite a cool scene where they escape the mall, where she's going. There's a homeless guy. Throw some money to him. Hide behind these balloons. <laughs> grab that umbrella. And I like that. That's quite clever. She's tapping into her precognitive powers. And again, there's a part of me that's going, is that the actual future? Is she telling him or is she making the future by recognising what's going to happen? But either way, um, I like that idea. But she just becomes this sort of like vessel to, for him to propel forwards, but not the plot or anything. And I'm like, why is he, he doesn't engage with her or, or connect with her in any way. And I'm like, that's what's, that's that's Spielberg thing I was expecting. The, yeah is missing there's a big emotional hole for the the second act and i'm like that's really bizarre for a spielberg film yeah i mean i i love that phrase emotional hole and and you know i we have to do et one of these days mm. um i saw et relatively recently and it hadn't been like i hadn't seen it in like 20 years and uh and i thought yeah that's kind of a cliche right i mean you know you're trying to sell Reese's Pieces. I mean, it's Spielberg. It's, you know, sort of, a, you know, middle-class auteurism, you know. Um, and that, and, it, and I just cried. Uh, you know, there are so many just heartbreaking, you know, the ability to make an extraterrestrial story about divorce. Yeah. And about just the heartbreak of divorce. Um, how does he not, you know, you know, how did he turn in this movie? Um, yeah. You know, for that, I love that phrase, emotional hole. And there's this weird thing going on with gender in this movie, mm. with that it's not like on the surface. Um, but, you know, Cruz has this kind of like uber confidence. All of the men are like schemers. You know, I mean, there's the guy with, with who puts the eyes in, but I mean, he's very good at what he does, right? Mm. I mean, uh, everybody, all the men are just kind of schemers and super confident and everything. And the women are just kind of empty vessels. And literally that is, I mean, his wife is, should be the most characterized and, and sort of is, but it's his journey to come back to her. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she just, it's like, I decided to be back with my wife again. So boom, I got her back. And she's pregnant again. Problem solved. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like she doesn't have any psychic residue. And the same thing, you know, like you said, with um, uh, with the precog that, you know, she is almost like cargo to carry around. And the fact that she has had a, a horrible life mm. um, doesn't really enter the picture except as a fact that, you know, but it, it's not characterized in any way. And then you see them, the movie ends with them on this little like island somewhere. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. You know, is that what they wanted? You know, what, I, I mean, I don't know anything about them. One of the weirdest parts, that's a really good point, actually, about the, the women in this film, because one of the weird things is, I mean, this is one of the, the most male and one of the most white films ever. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know it's basically Cruz 
Farrell and, and Sid are the main characters. And you, you do have a black actor sort of playing, but he's sort of like, he's just, I don't know, in command. And, and then you've got the guy from, uh, who pops up in everything, the sort of curly-haired sort of big, you know, big dude. You're like, fine. But every time you come across a female character in this film, like, they're the ones with the common sense. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's a whole scene where Cruz tracks down the woman who's like a geneticist or a scientist who created the precog, uh, mm-hmm. pre-crime, they call it. And she, when she breaks it down, I mean, I, I like the, I like the fact of like, you know, she's um, secluded in this thing and ge- like made these genetic plants and stuff that do all this other stuff. Like that's, I love some of the ideas and the, the effects there. It also feels a little bit like Spielberg trying to tap into um, Blade Runner by having the sort of the this crazy sort of slightly crazy scientist who's got this sort of god complex. Um, but again, she's the one that points it all out. She's the one that lays it out for him and is like. No, no, all this is is some old dude who doesn't want to let go of the thing that he created. Like, that's right. all it boils down to. Like, yeah, I let this go because it was stupid. doesn't work because of these things, the minority reports. So I, I got out. But all this is like, you want to protect it because of your masculinity. He wants to keep hold of it because it's, you know, it's his child. And then you've got some other dude coming in to take it over from you because there's money in it. It's basically saying, like, look at all you stupid men. <laughs> now, yes. bugger, now bugger off. And I was like, that's bizarre for a film to literally sort of stop halfway through to say, you're all incredibly stupid characters. This whole plot is really chauvinistic. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never thought of it like that, but that that is true. I mean, that is what she's saying. And yeah, you know, it's true that a lot of action movies are really men playing games, right? Mm. I mean, it, it's the it's the chess match between the the cop and the and the killer, right? You know, um, yeah, and and half the time you're like, yeah, you know, you don't really need to do this, you yeah. know, or you know, we're gonna ro- we're a heist movie, you know, we're gonna rob that that casino, and you know, men are gonna protect it, and you know, why are we doing this? I mean, it's men doing silly stuff. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, you're right. There, there is this character, and I like that character too. I, I, I'm kind of a fan of. It's a cliche, but I'm such a fan of like uh, characters in greenhouses uh, <laughs> saying deep things. It's just always. I know it's a cliche, but I mean, they, there are a lot of shows that do that. But um, I, I, I love it. There's something about the using the hands to prune and garden that uh, gets at sort of that metaphor of creation, but also. Uh, destruction and nature um yeah so i like all of that stuff and then you go right back to sort of you know this sort of uh, superficial uh macho male battle in which you know women seem to have no agency whatsoever well there's there's, there's even a follow-up to that that when colin farrell tracks down um uh Anderton, anderton's wife tom cruise's character's wife and he's he actually says to her like you know he he so Farrell's character now knows that Cruz is, is, is on these drugs and all this other stuff. And she says, well, yeah, because he lost his son. And he, she, mm-hmm. he goes, well, you lost him too. <laughs> and you see him all right. And it's all this thing, again, like, I'm not sure it's supposed to be, but it sort of points out going, yeah, he fell apart. Um, you seem pretty squared off. <laughs> like, I'm assuming you've got grief, but you seem relatively stable and you're dealing with your grief. Um, yeah. Why is that? And it's sort of again, it seems to point at these facts of going like, yeah, all these male characters, they're all broken. You know, 
there's there's like this whole sort of thing is a bit broken and we're not going to talk about that but i'm going to let you know that we sort of we clearly know that yeah no you're right i mean i sort of i sort of took it as i i think you're obviously correct i sort of took it as tom cruise and these male characters and i think socially um men are given space to go off and be angry Mm. And there's this weird way, I mean, getting back to sort of like Cruz's uh, confidence and acting, and we were talking about sort of machismo there. Uh, I've had so many conversations with people about men and emotions and how we have the stereotype that sort of women are emotional and men are cold and logical. You know, no, men are just as emotional, Mm. but we have been trained that anger is not really an emotion, right? Mm. So if you get frustrated by something and a woman tears up, guys will think, you know, oh, God, she's crying again. You know, why are women so emotional? In the same room, a guy hits something and punches the coffee maker. And everybody's like, dude, it's going to be okay." You know, that scene is somehow a rational expression. Yeah. So she's gone through her process. She seems healthy and, you know, uh, she's grieving. She's not pretending that this was a good thing or that she's over it, but she stayed in the same home. She seems calm and collected. And he's given this kind of space to, you know, go and Hulk out. Mm. And the entire movie in a sense is his experience hulking out and going crazy and, and doing these crazy things and then journeying back to her, or it should be, I mean, that should be the emotional core of the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's strange that like the movie doesn't seem to condemn him for that. Um, you know, she says, oh yeah, she has compassion for him. He doesn't seem condemned. And, and there is this odd way in which like he's given that space, that emotional space to do that without condemnation. Um, and, and that's part of what frustrates me about the end is that he has been away for years doing this thing that, that ultimately has been proven to have been a disaster, <laughs> locking people up, you know, for nothing, uh, working for utterly corrupt murderers. Um, and all of this was a farce. All, yeah. You know, all of this was a, was a complete and utter cock up. And, you know, but honey, I realized it. So I'm going to put a baby in you and it's all going to be fine. You know? yeah. <laughs> there is a yeah. kind of male entitlement there. I, I, I agree. I, and, you know, but it's not something I usually think of as being Spielbergian. Like maybe I, I do think of it with Cruise. You know, I do think of that with sort of Tom Cruise uh, and associate it with, with many of his films. Even like the, the Mission Impossible films is very sort of, you know, driven by that. But yeah, I, I do like that. That end little monologue of sort of where they basically say sort of like uh, the, the pre-crime <laughs> experiment was, was ended after nine years. I'm like, it's not an experiment. That's, that's, that's a lot. That's a decade of someone's <laughs> life. And you know, all this, this and then they, they were all let go. And this is the thing I find interesting. They were all let go, um, you know, pardoned and, and let go. And some were kept, were kept um, a, a tab on. Yeah. Right. And again, my brain's going, Oh, this is so black and white because mm-hmm. the, the guy that was arrested at the start of the film, yeah, let him go. Like, uh-huh. You prevented, you interceded and prevented a crime of passion. He has no history of this. You know, right. clearly his marriage is over. I think he has the right to go and sort his life out. Like he's probably not got a job anymore 
and he hasn't got a family. Like, let him go sort his life out. However, there will be people in that 1,000 or 1,100 people that this may have not been the first murder that you could have caught them for. Right. If, if you could have gone, we, we caught this guy because of precognition, but he's also committed seven other murders in another state that we didn't... Well, that don't we couldn't let, count. Yeah, don't let him go. <laughs> like, you know that. Yeah. Put him somewhere else. Also, it's also part of the, you know, talking about how does this sentencing work, right? How, yeah. does, how does this jail work? The movie is totally uninterested in thinking about any of that. Yeah. And that, so I, I find myself thinking the same thing and thinking, uh, and then I think like, well, you know, you pardoned everyone. First of all, did they need, I mean, I guess they need a pardon. We still have people in jail for, you know, minor drug offenses that are legal mm -hmm. now. Um, I, I guess you do need that pardon, but there's going to be financial settlements, right? I mean, oh, yeah. every single one of these people is going to have a civil action against the state yeah. Uh, they're going to be paid out. And, and, and here again, they're going to be protesters, you know, who say like, yeah, as you say, some of these people, that's fine. But, you know, we live in a society today that loves to be tough on crime, right? You mm -hmm. know, the last thing you want is to release a, a killer or, you know, a wife beater or something. And, you know, there's going to be protests. There's going to be politicians screaming, you know, you know, if elected, I will throw them back in jail. You know, we're going to make uh, uh, America precognitive again. Uh, <laughs> but again, it's just, it's it's this. It, it doesn't feel because I know Spielberg's not. You know, he's not. His films aren't always high level into intellectual. Like, you know, he'll he'll address certain topics, and this is supposed to be a fun sci fi romp. But I, I do get this idea of just releasing a thousand people back into society, uh, you know, just an open floodgate is well. First of all, you know, unless you like you said, you've got to give them some sort of compensation to get them back on their feet. There'll be some sort of trauma involved in this because um, if you if you notice, one of the things that they do when they arrest them, they apply like a, a piece of headgear. Mm -hmm. yeah. It goes on, and it ends as it acts like a neural like. Um, dampener, like, all of a sudden, like that's it, they're switched off. Some of these people, the last thing they may remember is their bedroom or the or being in a car or something else. All of a sudden, they're like, Oh, Jesus Christ, what, what, what? seven years later, <laughs> what you know, and I'm who's like, yeah, president again? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> who am I? Where do I live? Where, where's my family? Like, this, all this sort of. The people, like, yeah, it just feels like you know they try to go. We, you know, we solved this problem and we righted those wrongs. No, 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 no. You just let you just dropped like a massive bomb on this. Like it's, and maybe it's just because yeah. we're older, we live in more complicated. <laughs> well, we we now recognise we live in more complicated times. But I'm pretty sure That's when I watch for it, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that when I watch this in 2002, I'll be like, oh, that's a good ending. Now I'm just like. Wow, you just walked away from this absolute shitstorm, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that in 2002, I thought, you know, that's that's pat, that's yeah. you know, overly pat, and I, yeah. I wasn't as happy with the conclusion. But um, but now I think, as you say, like you know, politics is not a binary, right? Mm. It, you know, one of the things that irritates me is like, uh, it's like, are we going to do this program or are we not? That's not the way anything works. Right. You know, we're going to negotiate, you know, yeah, I know it's a pilot program and you shut it down, 
but there's going to be, it's going to continue in some way, right? There's going to be precognitive research. There's going to be, you know, an attempt to, to resurrect this. Uh, there's going to be an attempt to uh, keep some of those people behind bars or, uh, or whatever. All of these are kind of more interesting questions to me than in a way the, <laughs> the, the plot of the film, although it's a good movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is that kind of like, oh, you know, I, you know, I hate it when movies sort of presuppose like, uh, well, we expose that politician as a murderer. So all of his fans hate him now. Right. Like, you yeah. know, or or, uh, you know, he said something rude and and was exposed to be a hypocrite. And it's like his entire crowd of supporters goes, boo, boo. Yeah. And you just realize like, oh, it's over. No, that's, that's not the way things work. Right. Some yeah. people might peel off, but um so it, it is that kind of like, you know, just overly pat sort of, you know, understanding of, yeah, well, we just shut it down and, and everybody yeah. agreed, right, that we should shut this down. In reality, we have people talking about it's great to incarcerate people without trial. And, and if, and if they, uh, the charges were thrown out, that's okay because they're probably bad dudes who did something else. Literally, yeah. people say this, right? Yeah. Well, pre-crime pre feels like a Republican wet dream to be perfectly honest i can't believe any democrat would be sort of like yeah we're gonna without trial and without actually having committed a crime we're gonna put people in prison like i can't believe that would ever take place um but you know you say about being pat and about being a bit silly in the finale like i say when there's a moment again it's an, it's little odd choices that i find bizarre in this film when max Vin, max von Sydow's, um plot and conspiracy is unveiled and you get some of this um precog video footage of him killing the woman um which is fine you know it's there as evidence it's accepted for all these other crimes so clearly it's damning on him as well but the fact you then see his wife swoon and faint i'm just again it's like that gilding of the lilies mm -hmm. i'm not sure if that's supposed to because she, she proper goes huh it's proper like 1930s <laughs> swooning i'm like I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a gag or a just like tonally like someone, the editing on this is off. Like it's bizarre. Yeah. yeah. That is very weird. I, I've, yeah. It, it is just another one of those sort of tonal moments that we, I can't make heads or tail of. No, it's, it's a bizarre one. Um, but yeah, it's one of those that I had fun memories of this film. I still do. I still think there are, it's, it's a, it's a good fun um sci-fi romp i think there's some good set pieces in it but it really doesn't hold together as a story <laughs> no i don't think it holds together as a story and i and i do think that there is a version of this that is just an amazing movie um oh yeah. i mean whether it is the sort of like b movie we both like you know yeah. uh b movies and would be happy with that or a sort of like artsy uh Blade Runner-esque kind of thing. Uh, I think both of those would be great transformations. You could take out the the clutter. You could, you know, have that Spielbergian, um, you know, emotional core and sort mm -hmm. of just, you know, massage that and get that to, to working. And, uh, you know, you can downplay the conspiracy plot being tied to the entire origins of this. This is just some, we don't even need to get rid of the precox. I mean, mm. that doesn't need to be the happy conclusion. Um, you know, there can just be doubt. Um, and, and we can be left in the ambiguity of, I do, by the way, think the, you know, Democrats would sign on for it. Um, 
uh, I can easily think understand that. But when I think about it being used by, uh, you know, Republicans, I would think of it being used as like a way to just lock more people up or um, whereas I think, you know, Democrats are more focused on, yeah, we can achieve a more utopian society and, you know, mm. let, let's stop this stuff before it happens. Um, but yeah. yeah, I do think there's a there's a, a great version of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's and it's an interesting movie. It's a fun movie. It raises lots of points. I think that's the thing. It's almost like it sits in that middle ground, doesn't it? Like if you were to, and it sounds bad, but if you were to lower this down to being that sort of like pulpy B movie thing, like there's a really fun, silly film in here that like, you know, you could have like, you know, a bit more, that would be a bit more jokey and like you really go all at it with the, um, with the action and that sort of thing. And maybe like a Verhoeven kind of film or, Mm-hmm. I don't know someone someone like that, or you elevate it up and you do you get like Ridley Scott, Christopher Nolan, someone like that, and really try and dig into the sort of mm. themes, and you have something a bit more that's going to really sort of push on this sort of um, the thematics and the ethics of this. Um, unfortunately, I think this sits in that middle ground where it doesn't really achieve either. Um, it's fine, it's fun. Like you said, I'm probably not going to watch this or reference this again, but it sort of sits there as a yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I, I do, just as a final thought, want to say um, how amazingly influential this is. You know, mm. I mean, watching, like, it is amazing for a movie that bo- that both of us are like, you know, this is good, but it's not, I mean, it's not, it's not you know, Blade Runner. I mean, it's not 2001. It's not, um, it, it's not some of the movies that we like uh, that, and think deserve more more credit. Um you know, I, I think that the, the swooshing around the UI interface, uh, that's not only an Iron Man. I mean, we're designing real uh, mm. uh, interfaces that do this, um, you know, with uh, augmented reality. I think the pre-crime thing comes up a lot. I think that um, this has just been very influential and in a, in a kind of shocking way, uh, considering that, you know, it's it's a lesser Spielberg uh, sci-fi movie. Mm. No, it's true. Uh, I think from an aesthetic point of view, though, you can look at this and see, or a visual effect point of view, you can definitely see um, mo- model types and effect types used again and again. And I think that sort of, like you said, that, that UI sort of uh, interface that is, is just one. The driverless cars, the way they're shaped uh, and the way they work, repeated over and over again. Um, you know, um, even even those the guns the, the the spinny round sort of like energy weapons that sort of thing I've seen again and again all cool like there's some great bits in this. Yeah. Um, uh, f- weirdly, what I find is the most one of the funny things is this is one of the things you can tell when you can tell sort of when something is made. I find now because what you find is you can find films that are pre-smartphone and post-smartphone. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, in this film, uh, this is sort of 2002. So, you know, was it the the, the, um, the first iPhone came out? Was it 2004, 2005, something like that? Mid the mid early 2000s. At no point is other than the Retina technology is communication devices picked up. They have like a little earpiece, and that's it. But no smart device technology. Now, every future thing has got some kind of. <laughs> Uh, smart technology. In fact, actually, thinking about it, the wow, what film is it? Um, it is actually the Total Recall remake. Yeah. Uh, with Colin Farrell, has it built into their hand? 
and they can project yeah, yeah. them from the hand and stuff. So this smart technology, sort of like the moment we got smartphones, everyone was like, oh, 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 that. <laughs> we never really predicted that. Now we've got to build that into all of our futures. Um, well, it's and it's funny because this movie does kind of predict uh, facial recognition software and I, mm. and I and customized ads, right? I mean, I'm not sure to what extent like our web ads were even customized back in 2002. Now it's just like, you see these things and you say like, eh, why is it that you think I need Viagra? You know, like yeah, what, yeah. what what have I looked at? What website have I gone to that is demographically correlated to this? Um, you know, I mean, you know, it's all custom. And I, and I love that. Obviously, we're going to move into that at some point. Mm -hmm. I think it's great with augmented reality. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, when China's pushing facial recognition, this is this is coming. Uh, it's mm. not going to be eyes, but we we have a similar style of technology happening. That's way ahead of its time. But as you say, like not only does it not have smartphones, but you know how much of the chase plot makes any sense? <laughs> you know <laughs> these plots when you have smartphones just collapse instantly. Yeah. Well, the, the, the other thing I noticed in this as well, which is now. Like ubiquitous across all sci-fi films is they have the spiders in this and they're a cool little design mm -hmm. and they you know and again i noticed they have three legs you know sort of pre uh spielberg's war of the worlds and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. no drones yes yeah you that's know? right and, and and now like you know every sci-fi in fact one of the films we're going to talk about in this later on sort of has drone technology as all part of, of its opening scene so yeah it's one of those things that i think you know um <laughs> they can obviously and i know times change but it, i think it just shows how old i am getting or how old i realize i am that like a film where i'm like yeah this no minority report that's a pretty recent film and you go no it's almost 20 years old and didn't <laughs> didn't have smartphone technology in it or drone technology and i'm like wow yeah that's uh you know what, what makes me feel old is is I, I realize like 2002 is technically an old film. I don't want to realize that, but I do. <laughs> what makes me feel so old is that it never occurred to me that this is not a smartphone uh, future. I, yeah. that, that just doesn't even occur to me. <laughs> I, I'm not even thinking about smartphones and drones. I use smartphones every day, uh, but you know, I, I, you know, I love technology. I'm using this stuff, but it, I, it just seems like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a, vision of the future that's pretty solid oh yeah. wait yeah you know a, a kid comes into the room and just says like you know daddy <laughs> why why are they doing this why do, why is this so dumb this is the thing and i think this is where the thing like, you talk about sort of the technology we we now have alexa in our house we've got yeah. two two dots uh alexa dots downstairs and i've sort of been holding off but we were sort of like okay we're gonna yeah. get it we've had them for a week and alex and i are still I've still got, I still go through the app. I've got the bits and pieces on my phone. I'm looking at it and going, okay, that's how it works. And I've sort of got it going like, Alexa, tell me a joke or play some, <laughs> play some music. Ellie, pretty sure she's having full blown conversations with this artificial intelligence now. She's seven. And like, you know, it's mm -hmm. sort of like to her, it's just like, yeah, she's the first, she fit in the living room. She's the one that figured out that she can control the TV using Alexa. Like before, so kids, like you said, technology, like nowadays, like it's just uh, leaps and bounds. And uh, well, who's ever listening, no matter what age they're at, 
this will happen to you. Like we're sort yeah. of in middle age. That's right. And my parents are, I, I still marvel at like, you know, they cannot use smartphones. They can't get <laughs> Bluetooth to work on anything. Uh, I mean, my mom is scared of anything that talks to her. I'm like, you know, keyboards are going away, you know, and she's like, that's terrifying. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you're using the same thing. But then you do get to this, you know, and I used to just be able to pick up anything. I mean, I was overclocking a computer the other day, so I, I, I know what I'm doing. But I still will look at a u user interface on a new device and think, I don't know where to start. And I know that if I were seven, I wouldn't know where to start. And I just dive in and, you know, and I'd say, yeah, that's obviously intuitive. Yeah. So it, it happens. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see. And it's something, it might be, worth, I'd, I'd be interested in, I'm sure someone's done it, but I'd like to do it myself. I'd like to get like a, you know, go back to maybe the, from when I was young. So from, you know, early 80s and get sci-fi films that, you know, of a similar ilk, sort of like those sort of that look at this kind of sort of this kind of future. And just put them and watch them so I can see sort of go like, so what was the 80s future look like? What did an 90s <laughs> future look like? And then you can keep going through it and say, okay, well, that's interesting to see how the futures have changed to represent um, the changes in technology that have, that have come since. Because, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it has changed like quite dramatically. Yeah. Um, and I'm a huge fan of uh, retrofuturism, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, like, I mean, Sky Captain doesn't quite work, but I mean, uh, I, I love that stuff when, mm. I'm, you know, um, in comics or in film. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually quite enjoy that film. Um, Sky Captain is, is, a, is a good, uh, fun film. That, that was an experiment as well. I mean, that's another thing that sort of that went away quite quickly is that the it's a full green screen film as well. That was early 2000s, like Sky Captain, 300, uh, the, Star, the Star Wars prequels, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. that she died. Um, cool. Anyway, but that's it. I think we've sort of, we, I think we've sort of, we've talked, considering just before we started, you were like, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about on this one. <laughs> well, well, as you correctly said, everything is, it becomes context uh, or it becomes the text yes. itself. So, yeah. Uh. Yeah. I'm like, I've got a little point about gender, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it all comes it all comes out in the end. Uh, so, I don't, again, I've enjoyed talking about Minority Report. The first time Spielberg's been on our show, and I think um, possibly the first time Cruise as well, but they'll probably be back at some point. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Again, what you said, AI, uh, I think it might be one I'd like to sort of revisit. I've not seen that in years, and I have mixed memories of it. And so... Yeah. I'd be curious to visit that one as well. Um, and some of the Spielberg things, really, sort of see how he's addressed sci-fi. Um, but next week, um, we are going both back in time, um, we're going forward in time, but back in time and again, sort of like really to the to um, look at something that was an early, early um, notion of, of uh, pulp science fiction. We're going to do John Carter from... Uh, 2012, I think, and um, I think one of the reasons we're talking about is why didn't that film make more money? Um, uh, but but also, I'd like to think about sort of John Carter in the context of everything else that came since, um, as in when the novels or the, the pulp novels first came out. Yeah, so, and I'm really interested to have that discussion. I think that you like that film substantially more than I do. 
I don't hate it. I think it was panned, uh, you know, and I thought, yeah, this isn't nearly as bad as I was led to believe. Um, but I think that you're more of a fan and, uh, I want, I want, and I want to get dig into all of that. Uh, we, we need an episode where we just thrash it out and we disagree passionately. <laughs> like, uh, you know, we had a couple of first season. We're, we're getting along too well, Scott. I think we do, yeah. <laughs> season three is definitely going to be... So I've, I've got a couple of... Like, right, I'm throwing that one in because that's going to be some real controversy. Um, Good. Uh, well, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so John Carter, I think, is going to be interesting because I do... I, again, it's been, a, it's been probably a year or so since I watched it. Um but uh, no, I really do enjoy that film um, for a number of reasons. So we'll get into that on, on the next episode. Uh, but as usual, Julian, this has been an absolute blast. I love these conversations. And so thank you very much. Um, hope you've enjoyed it as well. Sort of, you know, um, get into the nub of this this sort of mediocre sci-fi film. Um so yeah, no, I, I I'm glad to address it. I mean, and I like you said, we'll do more Spielberg. I mean, I think uh, you know Spielberg is is fascinating to me. Uh, you know, he's one of those people. Even his mistakes are fascinating. But I hope everyone will go to uh, the Twitter, um, yeah. you know, Pod Time Space, and uh, go to your uh, Patreon. Yes, but yeah, go to Patreon. Also, don't forget that these episodes you'll be you'll be listening to us we're coming into your ears as a podcast and we're also going to be coming to your eyes on youtube so these full videos that's full two hours of content of julian and I sort of <laughs> talking about these, uh, uh you know uh, coming at you so go check those out they're on uh, 20th century geek they're on the channel 20th century geek on youtube uh, and they come out every two weeks usually about the, well around the same time as the podcast so anyway, thank you very much julian appreciate it and My pleasure We'll catch up on the next one. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. <laughs>